We are continuing our study in the book of Acts. We're at Acts chapter 9 this morning, verse 1. If you need Bibles, there's Bibles that are under the pews, and you could grab those and follow along with us. Passage before us um, is one in which you will see one of the just the greatest miracles in Scripture. You, you, you think of all that Christ did in his ministry and all that God has done in, in history from, you know, dividing the Red Sea to Jesus walking on water. Complete control over all the elements here on earth. Nothing's too hard for him. We see him take people whose eyes are um, in a place of not working at all, blind from birth, and regenerating them and making them work perfectly. Taking people who were lame for decades and making them able to walk. Uh, hands that are withered and making them whole. People that are covered with leprosy and making them clean. We, we, we see God take people who are deaf and make them able to hear. He does miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But on, the, on, this, on this morning, we are going to see the Lord do something that I think to each one of us should be considered far greater than any of the physical miracles that he did. And that is the miracle of changing somebody's heart just like he's done for every one of us as believers. You, you think of the state of your heart and, and the way in which you were based upon your sin and, and each and every person's sin. A heart that, that, that is so hard, so prone towards wickedness, wandering away from God, and not only wandering away from God, but, but having no desire to go towards him. And we find in Acts chapter 9, God working in Saul's heart in such a way of just radically changing him, transforming him. And I pray that, that, that this would be something that, that comes true in a life to us this morning as well as we watch this, read this. Because that's what God has done for us. He, he's changed our hearts. He's taken us who were dead in our sins and trespasses and he's made us alive. He's taken hearts of stone and he's changed them into hearts of flesh. He's made it so that eyes that were once blind were able now to see. And I just pray that, that we would find this to be just such an incredible work that he did in our own lives as we watch an example of what he did in, in Saul's life. And so we come to Acts chapter 9, and let's read verses 1 through 19 together, and then we'll look at it verse by verse as far as we get this morning. Verse 9, or verse 1 of chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to this street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized so when he had received food he was strengthened and then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus this is an absolutely incredible account of God bringing someone to salvation here you have Saul of Tarsus and it tells us in verse 1 Saul is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He's filled with such incredible hate. His hatred for Christians consumed him to the point where he's being described as breathing threats and murder. It's just, it's every part of him. Every part of his being is threats and murders. What can I do to find every Christian that I could possibly find and bring them out from wherever they're at, bind them, take them to prison, and have them put to death. I mean, it's, it's, it's consumed him. You, you, you picture these Christians, and, and at this time we know that there's, there's even tens of thousands of Christians in this region. And, and here's Saul of Tarsus going towards these Christians. These Christians are those that, that have either seen the risen Christ, or have heard of the risen Christ, or the disciples who followed the risen Christ throughout throughout his ministry and saw his death and saw his resurrection. But these people are absolutely convinced 100% that they know that Jesus died for their sins and rose again on the third day and their faith is in him and they're trusting him and they're studying his word together and they're listening to the apostles' doctrine and they're praying and they're singing songs of worship and they're passionate about bringing the gospel to whoever they could possibly bring the gospel to. I mean, they just, they just want people to know Christ. Everybody that they could possibly bring the gospel to, that's what they want to do. They just want to bring the gospel and share the gospel and see people come to know Christ. And here's this man, Saul of Tarsus, who's just trying to identify as many as he possibly can whether they're men or women 
says it over and over again multiple times in scripture that it's both men and women and he wants to just take them from wherever they're out bind them drag them back to jerusalem imprison them and put them to death saying i consented over all of them that were put to death he was there when stephen was put to death they were laying their robes at his feet he was involved in charge a part of all of it as far as them stoning him to death and so you can picture these people where he's bringing them and consenting of it and they're taking rocks and they're throwing it at men and women to the point where it's one after another hearing the screams hearing the cries seeing all these things till people finally breathe their last and die horrific scene as far as what's taking place and yet he is he's breathing this this is a part of him this is what he wants to do this is what he he longs to do all of his religious fervor is going towards let's exterminate christians let's do whatever we can to to just have a genocide take place amongst believers i'll go to foreign cities he says i'll go to foreign cities wherever it is to bring these christians to a place of being put to death i mean when you think of the wickedness of that I mean, anybody putting to death somebody that, that believes something different um, is horrific to any one of us. But to think of these believers, they're not trying to hurt anybody. They're just loving it on people. They love Christ. They're worshiping him. And he's just doing whatever he can to identify them. They're afraid of him. Everybody's afraid of this man. They're all afraid of him. I don't know what your background is. Um, I don't know what you've done in this life. I don't know um, what sins are in your past that you think of and you think like, I don't know if I could ever go to God. Think of Saul of Tarsus. Doing whatever he can to kill as many Christians as he possibly can to put them to death. And look what God does here. He's received letters from the high priest. Um, to be given to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if, if he found any who were of the way. And that's how they refer to Christians. Of the way. I don't know if it's sarcasm as far as... Um, he is Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Or Christians saying, this is the only way that you could ever possibly get to heaven. Um, I think it's an appropriate phrase as far as the way. But this is how it's re- the followers of Christ are referred to multiple times in Scripture. Any of that were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Bound. Acts 22 tells us that he delivered them into prisons, both men and women. He goes on and he says that he went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished, to chain them up, to bind them, and to bring them to Jerusalem. Verse 3 says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him, from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
To put this into context, I, I think it's vital for us to understand something about our salvation. The way in which God works, we might tend to think that, that we're searching. You, you might think of your life and think, man, I was just, I was looking everywhere for God. I was, I was looking everywhere for him. And finally, I found him. Remember, maybe bumper stickers back, at least when I was a kid, where he just said, I found God. He wasn't lost. It wasn't like, you know, like all of a sudden you finally figured it out. God found you. I mean, we, we, we consider this, this is not a man that's looking for God. This is not a man that's just like, man, I just, there's something, there's this hole in my life that I need to fill. And where am I going to fill it? That this is someone that just, he hates God. He hates Christ. He hates Christians. He hates everything dealing with the gospel. He knows the gospel. He knows what they're teaching. He knows what they're saying. He'll argue against them. And he's on his way to Damascus. He's, he's going to Damascus and he's driven as far as like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to bind people up with chains. And I'm going to haul them back to Jerusalem. And then we're going to put them to death. As many of them as I could possibly find. He's just, he's got guys with him. And he's just driven. I'm going. I'm going to go. I'm going to put to death as many people as I possibly can. But look what God does. A light shines around him from heaven. In another account, it tells us that the light that shone around him was brighter than the sun. We're told that it's noon. It's noon. It's, it's time where the, the sun is, is high and it's shining there in that region as he's heading and going towards Damascus. But something far brighter than the sun shines around him, knocking him to the ground. He falls to the ground, and then he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You can imagine him there and 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 he's terrified and frightened beyond compare saul saul why are you persecuting me and in his mind he's just going through and thinking who said that he doesn't just say who said that but he says who are you lord he knows that it's deity he knows that whoever it is that's saying this is someone that is far more powerful than anybody that he has ever known. He knows that it's God himself. And so his response is, who are you, Lord? And he waits for a response. This guy has made it his aim to extinguish Christianity. He's hated every part of Christ. And he waits for a response in which, more than likely, he knows what's coming. Hopes that it's possibly not the case because it's these people that he has watched die one after another, after another, after another, after another. He's heard their cries. He's dragged them from their homes. 
pulling women out of their homes, men out of their homes, putting them to death, and, and he's waiting. And the Lord says to him, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. These goads are these sharp objects in which he's saying you're kicking against these sharp objects. It's hard for you to do this. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. The Lord reached out and specifically called Saul of Tarsus. A person that you would think is the least likely of those to be saved. Isn't he? I mean, at this particular time, if you're thinking like, who's close? Who could I share with? Who, who could I possibly minister the gospel to as far as... Now they're just they're they're at a really hard place. They're in a really vulnerable place. They maybe they've hit rock bottom. Maybe they're in a place where their only hope is to look up and to look towards God. That's not this guy. He's on. A, I mean, it is this guy, but he doesn't know it's this guy. He's on a mission. He's confident. He knows in his mind what he's doing right as far as putting to death as many Christians as he possibly can. And yet God reaches out to him. There may be people in your life where you're thinking. Now, he is the last person on earth, I think, will get saved. She's someone who, her heart is so hard towards the gospel. I've prayed for her, or I've prayed for him, and we've ministered the gospel. They, they tell me that they, that they don't even want to hear me talk anymore about the gospel. Things that seem impossible with men are not impossible with God. You could be in a place right now where you're kicking hard against the goats. You're kicking hard as far as I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with him. And yet, as the southern playwright is called, your arms are too short to box with God. You can't box with him. Here he is, and God is bringing him to salvation. He's saved, and it's all by grace. He knew what he once was, and he knew what God did for him. Later in the Pauline writings, you, you hear him talk about what he was like, and you hear him talk about what God did for him. Can I just read for you from Titus chapter 3? He's... He's speaking of unbelievers, and surely Paul is talking about himself. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. And this is Paul just saying that this is who I was. I was. I was foolish. I thought I was so wise, but I was a fool. I'd been schooled at the best universities. I thought I had everything together, but I was an absolute fool. I was disobedient to God. Even though I thought that I was doing the right thing by putting Christians to death, I was disobedient. I was deceived. Deceived by my own flesh. Deceived by the world. Deceived by the enemy. 
And I was doing what I wanted to do, serving various lusts and pleasures. I was living in malice and envy, and I was hateful. When he's talking about this, he's talking about himself. I was hateful, and I was hating other people. I hated them. I mean, you can imagine, you, you have to hate somebody to drag them out of their home and bring them to a place of their execution. You have to be hateful to see someone be hit by rocks over and over again until they can breathe, they breathe their last. Or even watching Stephen, where Stephen's saying, Lord, don't hold this to their account. Forgive them. I mean, listening to words like this, you have to be so much, filled with so much hate to go from that place and be like, let's get another one. And yet that's what he's doing. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going to kill as many as he possibly can. So he says, I was hating. But then the next verse says this, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, when his, the, the kindness and the love of God appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. This is him just talking about this is what took place. It wasn't because of my works of righteousness. It wasn't because I was doing all these good things. I was hateful. I was deceived. I was full of, of, of envy. This is what I was doing. And yet, his kindness and his love appeared to me. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. According to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. When he thinks of his salvation, it's just, it's grace, it's grace, it was all grace. He understood. There's never a point in the life of the Apostle Paul where, where he would look back and think, God needed me. Or, he didn't have a, a bumper sticker on his, you know, little wagon that said, I found God. He, he knew that God just knocked him to the ground. A light shines, and God's going to work mightily in his life, and it's all grace. It's all grace. It's all mercy. It wasn't because of his works of righteousness. It was all God. That's the best news for us, isn't it? Isn't it amazing to think that you, you're, you're not sitting here as a believer in Christ because you got it all together? You finally figured it out? You studied hard enough? Isn't it awesome just to think, no, God, when I saw my sin, it was God that just showed me my sin. When I heard the gospel and that there was a Savior that could take all my sins away and give me His righteousness, that God Himself gave His only begotten Son, to die on the cross, that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And I heard that, and I just thought, like, I need that. I need forgiveness. I need Christ. I need to change the direction I'm going. I need to follow him. I need to have him forgive me of every sin I've ever committed, to be able to be in a place of, of having your heart changed and to know it wasn't because of works of righteousness that that happened, but it was because of grace. And it was because of the very kindness of God. All the glory for our salvation goes to him, doesn't it? All of it does. You think of the man who penned the song Amazing Grace. 
What's his background? He was a slave trader. Slave trader. And he writes the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. If you look at your background and you understand sin and what you were and what God saved you from, you you will sing a song like that from the bottom of your heart with all that is within you. I mean, you, you hear Paul later saying that anybody who doesn't love God is accursed. I mean, you, you love him. We love him because we've been saved by him. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. Paul speaking here again. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And once you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, now for Paul, but God was when the light shone there, knocking him to the ground, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding grace of riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And you hear it, the same theme there over and over again. It's by grace, it's mercy, it's his kindness, it's his love towards us. There's no boasting that could take place because it was all him. Every part of it was him. Who's Paul or Saul? (laughs) Saul who becomes Paul. He looks back at what he was and he says in Philippians 3, if anybody can have confidence in the flesh, like I I can make it to heaven on my own. If, If anything, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have also counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I... I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, gain Christ to be found in him, 
not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The, the stuff, everything, everything that I've ever done is just trash in comparison to knowing Christ, to be found in him, to have his righteousness. You can take every one of your accomplishments in this world and think it's trash, it's rubbish in comparison to the excellency of knowing him, being found in him and being saved and having a righteousness that comes from him. That's what this man found. And so he's there in verse 6 of Acts chapter 9 and he's trembling and astonished and he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? The response is perfect there. He sees Christ and he hears that it's him that he's been persecuting and he comes to salvation and his first response is, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you? How can I live for you? How can I change everything? What do you want me to do? What can I do? There's no question that the result of his salvation is that he loves Christ and that he just wants to do whatever it is that God calls him towards in this life. Is that you? I mean, do you respond by, by you being saved to responding with, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I live now? The Lord says to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. I think it's noteworthy. There's several men that are around him. They heard a voice. They didn't see anybody. But God specifically reached out to Saul. Radical. You may have grown up with all of your friends around you. All of you guys doing the same thing. And yet God reached out to you. I was at my son Jonathan's wrestling tournament yesterday and he was wrestling a kid um, from Utah. Three-time state champion from Utah. And, and Jonathan won. Pretty cool. But anyhow... Um, <laughs> His dad's there, and his dad's all tatted up. Like, no offense, all you guys that are tatted up out here, but, but his, he's all tatted up, like pretty gnarly tats all over his face, stuff written all over. And so I just, you know, my son just beat up his kids, so I was trying to be friends. And, and so I, I just went up, and I, no, I'm just kidding, the kid was really good. But I said, tell me about your tats. And he's like, hey, son, could you go away for a second? I told his son, could you just go away for a second? He's like, man, this is from my old life. I, I did a lot of bad stuff. I was in gangs and just, I did, I, I did some bad, bad stuff. It's, it's all stuff I can't get rid of now, but it's just from my old life. And I said, so you following the Lord now? He's like, yes. <laughs> He's like, God just changed my life completely. Like I just, I teach in the youth ministry now. I'm serving him in all kinds of ways. He's just like, God's just radically changed my life. You think of it, and he gets saved. Lord, what do you want me to do now? Everything changes for him. He just, he just wants to follow Christ. He could take any one of us and just radically change us and say, now follow me. And we respond, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
Possibly the people that were in this guy's gang are no longer following, are, are not following Christ at all. But this guy is. God worked in his heart, and he worked in our hearts. The reason why I think that's important is because it brings us to a place of it's all grace. There may be people that you had in your background, and man, you, you have very little in common with them anymore except for you hung out with them a lot when you were younger. Look at what God saved you from. You could be still in the midst of all that, and yet God caused you to see a light shining in the darkness and brought you to a place of following him. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Think of the pathetic state that he's in. He was going there just to grab as many Christians as he could and put them to death. He's blind now, and he has people just kind of leading him. Okay, walk this way, look out, there's a rock. And he's going to Damascus. Well, the Lord's working in another man's life, Ananias. Different Ananias than we saw earlier in Acts. And he says to, the Lord says to him, Ananias. And he says, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. He's praying. I'm going to stop there before we go to communion. But notice this. What is Saul doing? He's got saved. He's blind. Three days. He hasn't eaten or drinking. Drink, drinking. He, he didn't drink anything. <laughs> hasn't eaten anything. He's blind. And he's there. And he's just praying. He's thinking of all that he had done in his past. And he's thinking of the one in whom he was persecuting, Christ. His prayers are different, surely, than they've ever been before. He's talking with God. He's in prayer with the Lord. Does that mark your life? God saves you? You want to follow him? Lord, what do you want me to do? And then you come before him and you're just in prayer. Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm so sorry. What is my life going to look like from this point on? I want to leave all that stuff behind. How do I change? I mean, I know the good news now. I know that it's you that I was persecuting. And then you're going to watch this man's life change in the most radical way from this point on. But God did this. Amen? God did this. Is there any question in anybody's mind that God did this? God saved him. And God saves us as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. For the salvation in which you brought to Saul of Tarsus. And the miracle of you've done in saving us as well. I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be in a place of just being in awe of you this morning.
If there's those that are here that don't know you, may today be their moment, their Saul of Tarsus moment on that road to Damascus in which you, you save them. They're hearing everything and they're knowing that there's no sin that they've committed that's so great that you cannot save them. I pray that today would be the day that they call upon you. Today's the day that they ask for forgiveness of sins and have faith only in their Savior, their Lord Jesus Christ. May you do that miraculous work in their hearts this morning. As we partake in communion this morning, Lord, may every part of it be honoring to you, pleasing to you, glorifying to you, that you would be exalted. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.